Well, Happy New Year to you. It's uh, amazing to think we're starting a brand new year. I love summertime. I love not shaving. <laughs> Having a break from all the traditional routine things that happen throughout the, uh, the year. But summer for me is more than just not shaving. Uh, I love getting up early in the mornings and uh, going for walks and uh, doing... Uh, outdoor kinds of things. Sometimes I'll drive into the beach and go for a walk or just walk around where we are at home. Uh, Sometimes I might just get up early and walk to the local shops to get milk for breakfast or any of those kind of things. Uh, That's a big part of summer for me. But because I'm up early and not all of the household is awake early, um, it's very common for me to receive a text message that simply says, where are you? Where are you? And uh, it could be that I'm at the beach, it could be that I'm just around the block, or it could be that I'm at the shops, or whatever it might be. Where are you? And as we enter 2016, I want to focus this morning on that question, where are you? Where are you? Of course, another aspect of this time of the year, as Pam's alluded to already, are New Year's resolutions. And uh, it's a time of the year where gym memberships increase, where Bunnings and home improvement places do a roaring trade, where salads feature heavily on menus in homes. But I was reading an article in the paper just the other day, only 48% of people still do a New Year's resolution because the other 52 think, well, it's not going to work anyway, so why bother? Out of that 42%, 25% only last a month. And by the end of the calendar year, there's only 8% who actually fulfill their New Year's resolution. But I think the best challenge, I won't call it a resolution, the best challenge for a new year is actually found in Luke chapter 2, and we'll have a look at that passage in a moment. Now, Luke chapter 2 is all about the birth of Jesus, and the angels, and all the things that happened around uh, Jesus' birth, and we've been reading a lot of that in the last few weeks, obviously. But at the end of the chapter, we actually jump forward 12 years, and we find a story of Jesus as a boy. And it's the only story recorded between the birth of Jesus and when he started his ministry. And uh, as we find this New Year's resolution or this New Year's challenge, we can find it in this passage. See if you can determine what it might be. Let's have a look at it now on the screen. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, because they assumed he was among the other travellers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. Where are you? When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting amongst the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and all the people. No wonder his parents asked the question, where are you? Can you imagine what that would be like? Three days of searching through streets and lanes, marketplaces, maybe knocking on the doors of people who you knew, maybe just asking complete strangers. And a sense of helplessness and loss and urgency and panic. If you've ever lost a child in a busy place, you may know what Mary and Joseph would have gone through. When our youngest was only about seven or eight, we were on holidays at Coffs Harbour. And uh, there's a shopping complex up there, Park Beach Shopping Centre. And uh, we were in there, we just arrived, and uh, Jane and the three kids were going to look at some shops. And I said, well, I'll go down to the other end of the shopping area to Woolies and I'll grab some groceries for the week and I'll meet you back. Um, And so I'd been about 20 minutes in Woolies and you know when you're in a different supermarket, you're not quite sure where things are and you sort of spend time looking for bits and pieces. And I was just about to finish with a trolley load of groceries for the week and Alice turned up next to me. And she was supposed to be with Jane. And I thought, hmm. And this is before long before the days where each person in the family had a mobile phone and I could text and say, hey, I've got Alice. So I couldn't contact Jane and I thought, well, I've got a full load of groceries. I can leave them and race back to where she would be because I knew she'd be a little bit concerned, just a little. And uh, I thought, no, look, I'll go through the checkout now and pay for the groceries and I'll head down there with Alice and we'll meet up with Jane. So I did that. And uh, when I found um, Jane and Sam and Eliza, they were a little bit concerned that this uh, seven-year-old had sort of wandered off and had no idea where she was. But she knew where she was. She'd misplaced Jane and Sam and Alice. She knew that I was going to Woolies, so she thought, well, she'd head down and look through Woolies and found me. So she wasn't lost. She knew where she was. And often being lost is perspective, isn't it? It's perspective. Jesus was saying to his parents, I'm exactly in the right place. I'm in the temple. This is where I belong. Why are you searching for me? I'm not lost. I knew where I was. And perhaps at times our perspective can be wrong. And we try and make Jesus fit in with our schedules, just as his parents were doing. We're the ones in the wrong place. But we expect Jesus to show up when we make choices and take certain directions and paths, when we plan where our life should be going, and we think, well, he'll tag along and follow behind. And if it doesn't quite work out, then he can make it better. And then we ask the question, Jesus, where are you? Where have you been? When things don't work out for us. When things fall apart. So my question to you is, where are you as this new year unfolds? I think it's an important question to consider. Jesus is in the right place, but are you? 
So what's the New Year's resolution or the New Year's challenge in this passage? I think it's the very last verse. If we could just flick up that last verse again, Cameron, verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and all the people. And my challenge to you this morning is to consider where are you, where are you in regards to wisdom? Where are you in regards to stature? Where are you in regards to favour with God and favour with other people? The passage tells us that Jesus grew in these areas. Where are you in these areas? Let's take a few minutes and consider that. Where are you with wisdom? Where are you with wisdom? I once heard about um, a, uh, a professor at a university, and he'd been serving at that university for all of his work career, diligently learning and understanding more and teaching students as they came through, and he was retiring. They organised a great big function for him, and there were thousands of people who wanted to come and honour this wonderful professor for all he'd done. And during this ceremony, when they were honouring him, all of a sudden, the heavens opened, and this beam of light came down, and there was an angel next to him, And the angel said to the professor, you've been faithful and hardworking and a wonderful servant. You can have two things, ultimate wisdom or ultimate riches. What will you choose? And this professor thought for a moment and replied to the angel, I'll choose wisdom, ultimate wisdom. And with that, the heavens closed, the angel was gone, the lights faded the thousands of people there were just amazed and there was absolute silence. And finally one voice said to the professor, say something wise, say something wise, teach us all, say something wise. And the professor thought for a minute and said, I should have chosen the money. (laughs) But the Bible tells us that The fear of the Lord, respect for God, is the foundation of our wisdom. That's in Proverbs chapter 1. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And often we perceive that wisdom is knowledge. Knowing the right thing to say at the right time, having a strong recall of facts, or sprouting forth impressive words or wise sayings. And perhaps that's true, but I think wisdom is more than knowledge. I think it's also action. You can be very wise and know that you shouldn't eat too much chocolate at Christmas time, but you might do it anyway. You can be very wise and understand all about exercise and the benefits to you, but if you don't do it, what's the point? You can be very wise and understand how to relate to people, how to treat them kindly, especially on their birthdays. You can know all those things, but if you don't do it, what's the point? In the New Testament, we hear a story of a rich young man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you must obey all the laws and the commands. And he said, I know them, and I've been doing that since I was a little child. And Jesus said, there's one more thing you need to do. That's to take what you have, to sell it and give the money to the poor. And the Bible tells us that the man went away sad because he was very wealthy. And he was hearing this knowledge from Jesus firsthand. This is what you need to do. 
but he didn't have the wisdom to actually go ahead and do it. So where are you in regards to wisdom for 2016? What is it that you either have to learn more about, find out more about, or act upon? Health, finances, relationships, a deeper devotion to walk with God? Consider, where are you in regards to wisdom and act upon it? And what about stature? Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Now, stature can mean someone's physical size. Are you a shorter person or are you a taller person? But it's more than just their size and their physical presence. It's also about someone's character. So those who are just smiling at Joel, it's about character too, mate. Integrity, motivation, all the things that we know Joel are good good with. Sense of righteousness, this is about your stature as well. In the Old Testament, the first king of Israel was a man called Saul. And the Bible says he was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anybody else. So it's a little bit like Star Wars when Darth Vader comes in and he's head and shoulders above everybody else. An impressive character was Saul. But if you know the story, God removed him from being king because of his character. So impressive stature physically, impressive presence, but weak when it comes to the stature of his character. So where are you? In regards to your character, what are the things that you struggle with? What are the weaknesses? What do you think God is wanting you to work on? Where does he want you to grow in 2016? How close are you to being the person that God really created you to be? Sometimes people say, well, I can't change who I am. But God can. God can. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, God is talking to the people about their rebellion against him. And he says in Ezekiel 18.31, put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. And if there's things in your character that need to be uh, changed and grow then you can find yourself a new heart and a new spirit. So where are you in terms of stature in 2016? You can grow. You can grow to become more Christ-like. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favour with God. Now, how can we grow in favour with God? The Bible makes it very, very clear that there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less. It's not like a family of children and this is the favoured child because the parents love this child more than they love that child. That doesn't work that way with God. We can't change his love for us. We can't get rid of it. We can't escape it. It's always there. At this time every year, I do mention my peach tree. And for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, here's a one-minute summary. 
Many years ago, this tree grew of its own accord. It's just a place where we used to throw garden veggies and there was a peach seed and this thing started to grow. The first year, it was just a stick. I thought, I wonder what that is. The second year, it was a stick with one green, unripened piece of fruit. I had no idea what it was. The third year, we saw peaches start to develop. And I thought, you beauty, the fruit flies got them and we just had mushy mess. The fourth year, I thought, I'm going to do something about these fruit flies. And I found that you can make your own fruit fly attracting zapper killer thing. And I had a go at that and it didn't work. The next year, I bought something that you hang in the tree and it attracts the fruit flies and it drowns them and kills them. It didn't work. The year after that, I bought heavy-duty, high-powered, friendly-to-the-earth chemicals and sprayed on the fruit tree. I think the fruit flies licked that off for the entree and got into the peaches and it didn't work. Peach trees are deciduous. In winter this year, when it lost its leaves and it was looking rather poor and pathetic, I thought, I'm not going to go through another year of having uh, peaches full of uh, fruit fly that just turned into mush, and I've got to clean up all the mess, and I chopped it down. I left about 50 centimetres in the ground. It grew back. It's now about this tall with lots of green branches with leaves. No fruit because it obviously wasn't there when the fruit should have been growing. I don't know what I'm going to do with this thing. But it reminded me of God's love. You cannot chop it down. You cannot get rid of it. It will just grow back. It will grow back. And when I look at this leafy, happy peach tree, I think of God's love. There'll be another story next year this time. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but if you know how to get rid of fruit flies, let me know. So if we can't make God love us any more or any less, how do we grow in favour with God? It seems like an impossible thing to do. I think it's through obedience and attitude. If we're obedient to God and if we have the right attitude, I think we can grow in favour. I think back of... Jonah, who disobeyed God and went a different direction instead of following him. And at the end of the story was all huffy and grumpy at God. And I think, would God pick Jonah for the next assignment? Probably not. Probably not. He's too much hard work. I'll get someone who'll be obedient and will do so willingly and happily. So I think we can grow in favour with God in those ways by being obedient and having a willing attitude to serve him. But also keeping our view of him unobstructed. C.S. Lewis says the sun's light is equally available to us all. It's just that our windows, mirrors and lenses get dirty and dusty. I think if we keep those things clean and have a good view of God, then we can grow in favour. And fourthly, Jesus grew in favour with others. Now, growing in favour with others isn't about getting more Facebook friends or more likes when you post something or more comments on your Instagram photos or what it might be. It's about living a life of service and sacrifice to one another so that people can experience God's love through us. Where are you with that? Do your interactions with other people 
bring them closer to God? Do they fill them? Do they show them God's love? Or do your interactions with others drain them and take, make them take a step back from God? The Bible urges us to live a life that's servant to other people. Where are you, wisdom, stature, in favour with God, in favour with others? As I finish, there's something else that really stood out to me about this Bible verse. In verse 48 of Luke chapter 2, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? Jesus, you're in the wrong place. You cause us a lot of grief, a lot of upset, a lot of anguish. It becomes personal. Why has Jesus done this to me? But that's a victim mentality. Why have you done this to me? And that's not the perspective we should take. Jesus isn't out to get us. He's not out to trip us up and to laugh when we fall and to make life difficult. He's not there to do things to us, but rather he's there to do things for us. We're not the victims of some callous spiritual being, but we are the benefactors of the greatest act of love that the world has ever known. That's what he's done for us. That's what he's done for us. So, where are you? Where are you? Do you know, if people don't take time to stop and think and reflect, then next day is the same as this day and the day after is the same as that. I think at this time of the year... It really is important to do that, whether you call them resolutions or whatever. But it's important to take a moment, have some time with God and consider, where are you? And if you're looking for something to sink your teeth in through the year, then grow in wisdom. Grow in stature. Grow in favour with God and in favour with man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new year. And with that new year comes a fresh start. And Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you for that fresh start. Father, we want to be open to your leading and your guiding. And I pray that at the end of 2016, we won't be the same as we are at the start of 2016. May we grow in our wisdom and in stature and favour with you and with other people. May we consider where we are. Father, I want to thank you for your love your love that was given to us. And Father, I pray that as we face the challenges of the year, the joys and the heartaches, that we will realise these are things you are doing for us, that you are there with us walking every step of the way. And Father, I pray that we won't be one of those 9% of people, uh, only those 9% of people, but there'll be 100% of people here today who will grow in you during this year. Father, we thank you for your love, for the gift of 2016. And I pray that our gift to you will be what we do with 2016. Amen.